Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Mom, apple pie, and capitalism. That's how it has seemed for most of our lifetimes. The American way has been the free market way. Free enterprise has been a keystone value of how we live our lives and organize our society. And sure, capitalism has had its critics all along, some of them quite ferocious, but they were always in a distinct minority. But boy, has that changed now, with polls saying that only half the population has a clearly positive view of capitalism these days. And with serious contenders for the office of president of the United States from the Democratic side, making capitalism their rhetorical punching bag and also the focal point of their plans to overhaul American society. Given all of this, we at Intelligence Squared U.S. thought it was time to put capitalism up for debate. So that's what we did. We brought together four people who are leading thinkers in the fields of politics, economics, and some in the practice of capitalism to our stage at the K Playhouse in New York City. It was a competition of ideas in three rounds on one question, which we call a resolution, and it's this capitalism is a blessing. Our live audience voted before the show on that resolution, and you can still cast your pre-debate vote online right now at iq2us.org. That's iq, the number two, us.org. As always, our audience decides which team wins the day. Now, let's get to the debate, and let's meet our debaters. First, arguing for the resolution, welcome John Mackey. John, you are the co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. You are author of the best-selling book, Conscious Capitalism, Liberating the Heroic Spirit of Business. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. And your partner, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Catherine Mangu Ward. Catherine, you are editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine. We've had some of your colleagues debating with us before. One of them is a three-time winner, but I won't mention his name right now. You are the co-host of the Reason podcast. You're a future tense fellow at New America. Thanks so much for joining us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. And we have two debaters arguing against the resolution. First, please welcome Bhaskar Sankara. Hi, Bhaskar. You are the founding editor of Jacobin Magazine and author of the new book, The Socialist Manifesto, The Case for Radical Politics in an Age of Extreme Inequality. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. And let's welcome your teammate, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Wolff. Hi, Richard. You're a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. You're currently a visiting scholar at at the New School. Uh, You're founder of Democracy at Work. You're a prolific author, including your latest book, Understanding Marxism. It's great to have you here, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, here they are, our four debaters. And let's get started by moving on to round one. Round one will be opening statements by each debater in turn, here to make his statement in support of the resolution, Capitalism is a Blessing, John Mackey, co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. Ladies and gentlemen, John Mackey. Let me start out by saying, is capitalism perfect? No, it's clearly not. It never will be. Human beings are not perfect. However, I'll put this challenge to our opponents, and I'll also ask the audience this. This is the best time to ever be alive in the entire history of humanity. I challenge you to tell me if you could live another time in the past that's better than right now. Is capitalism a blessing? Well, you can't answer that until you say compared to what? Compared to what? Is it a blessing compared to the past? I'm going to show you that it was. Is it a blessing compared to its only modern rival socialism? There have been 40 socialistic experiments countries have done in the last hundred years. Every one of them has failed. So, to my opponents, if you have an example of a successful, prosperous, socialistic country 
that is ending poverty, tell us. Because if you do, maybe I'll stop being a capitalist. So defining capitalism is going to take too long. I'm going to say I prefer the word economic freedom. Here's a factoid for you tonight. 97% of all the wealth that humanity has created in the entire history of our race has occurred in the last 250 years. Here you can see what's happened as capitalism took off. The GDP per capita raced up. The economic success of capitalism is unprecedented in the history of the world. 200 years ago, the world's economy was at the present level of Sierra Leone of 94% of the people were poor. Since then, the per capita globally has increased by over 10x. It's increased 24x in the United States, 41x in Hong Kong, and 75x in South Korea, 23% just since 1960. The Nordic countries, they are capitalist. I want to take this one off the table. They have very high degrees of economic freedom. Sweden created most of its wealth back when it was strongly capitalistic in the early part of the 20th century. In the 1960s, they implemented a lot of socialistic policies. Economic freedom declined, and so did their prosperity. Since then, Sweden has cut back on their government tremendously. Their corporate tax rate is 22%. They tried wealth taxes and got rid of them. They have 0% inheritance taxes, and they have educational vouchers for all their children. Sweden now ranks number 19th in the world in economic freedom. They're clearly capitalistic with a strong social welfare component. Let's look at economic freedom and income per capita. You can see that mostly free, the more economically free you are, the richer your country is. Declining global poverty. You can see that absolute poverty, if you go back 200 years ago, 94% of the people alive lived on less than $2 a day, 94%. 85% lived on less than $1 a day. Now, 8% live on less than $2 a day. Life expectancy for most of the history of the human race was 30. Now it's in getting into the middle and upper 70s. If you go back 200 years ago, 90% of everyone alive was illiterate. That's down to 14% now. Capitalism is not increasing inequality of income. This is going to be something we'll talk about t- tonight, I'm certain. You can see the U.S. income distribution has been relatively Fairly constant, it's, it's changed, but almost since the founding of the republic, very close together. This is very important because the poorest households in America over the last 50 years, there's 20% less of them. There's fewer in the middle income level as well. The highest income level has more than tripled. Now, almost 29% of the households make over $100,000. Look at the economic freedom, the if you're going to be poor, the income equality is highest. In the, in, it's in highest in the high-income areas. Wealth isn't the problem. Poverty is the problem. Wealth doesn't cause poverty. Poverty is the natural default condition of the human race. Capitalism is creating wealth not for a few, but for billions of people. The problem is not that there's an unequal distribution of income in this world. There's an unequal distribution of economic freedom. To seek the causes of poverty in this way is to enter into an intellectual dead end because poverty has no causes. Only prosperity has causes. Jane Jacobs, capitalism creates prosperity. Our resolution, capitalism is a blessing. And here to make his opening statement against the resolution, Bhaskar Sankara, founding editor of Jacobin Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, Bhaskar Sankara. The question of this debate is, is capitalism a blessing? Not was capitalism a blessing? There is no doubt of the material gains of capitalist development. Uh, Capitalism, of course, that has existed in a form that has been harnessed and shaped by mass democratic working class movements. After all, the franchise and many of our most treasured basic civil liberties were not gifted to us by capitalists. Around the world, they were fought for and won, often by workers' movements that had as major parts of their components democratic socialists. So this is actually existing capitalism, and it's a capitalism that has been constantly shaped by anti-capitalist forces. Capitalism today has made materially possible the old Enlightenment dream of liberty, equality, fraternity. 
It's made possible a different world, but it's foreclosed its realization. What capitalism has not been able to do is solve two problems that I believe an alternative system could solve. One problem would be a distributional question. How come we have so much immense riches in the world, but so many other people are deprived of the basic necessities they need to fulfill their creative potentials? Capitalism, in the United States, for instance, is not enabling people to reach their potentials because it's depriving them of housing, education, health care, and all these other core necessities of life. Yes, the Nordic countries have actually achieved certain of these minimums. We, we, if you're born in a Nordic country, you could be assured uh, a much greater chance of reaching your creative potential than you're born in the United States. But the second question is a, power, a question of ownership and distribution. Markets existed before capitalism, and markets will exist after capitalism. I think there's an important role for markets to play in a post-capitalist system for both price calculation questions and for incentives to motivate each other to produce efficiently and whatnot. We have to decide, of course, what sphere we want markets in. I think there's no role for the market in uh, the provisioning of basic health care. What we have in this society today is a society that enables people to reach their credit potentials, people who have access to the means of production, while other people of equal talents are stuck working for them. Now, what would an alternative be? We could collectively run our workplaces and elect our own management. These self-managed firms could compete against each other in the market. They could fail. That's fine, as long as the sectors and spheres that are failing are not core sectors like our healthcare, like our education, like things where we don't believe the market should, should have any part in. But what you're arguing when you're defending capitalism is not... A, a system of productivity based on the market, what you're arguing for is market uh, dependency, the fact that every single sphere of life be uh, driven by market imperatives, and you're defending private ownership of the means of production. In a democratic socialist alternative, workers would be incentivized to work and contribute to production by instead of receiving a wage, by receiving a dividend of production. What we propose, what we need to aspire to is a form where we no longer have workers and capitalists, but we simply have worker owners. This sort of society would have a bedrock of a decommodified social safety net. Sweden did not switch towards some socialist model in the 1960s. The Swedish Social Democrats have been in power since the 1930s. The most important date in Swedish Social Democratic history is 1938, when the basic agreement was formed between labor and capital. Over the course of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, Sweden was transformed from an oligarchic, undemocratic country into a vastly prosperous, high-wage economy. This happened because of the workers' movement. It happened because of, of socialists. And it happened against the imperative of private capitalists in the market. Bhaskar Sunkara, thank you very much. We're debating the resolution, Capitalism is a Blessing. We're going to hear more opening statements from our debaters when we come back. So here's a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this resolution. Capitalism is a blessing. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Debating for the resolution, here is Catherine Mangle-Ward, editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Mangle-Ward. So I was going to start by thanking my partner, John Mackey, for making an incredibly powerful case for capitalism. But I also want to thank Baskar for making an incredibly powerful case for capitalism. Thank you very much. Uh, Because capitalism is markets, and I am going to die on that hill. So let's go ahead and have that fight. Um, The four horsemen of the apocalypse are in retreat. Uh, We are winning the battle against uh, famine, war, pestilence, and even death. That is thanks to capitalism. Our opponents are going to try and explain that away. They are going to say that it is some other thing happening, that maybe it was capitalism before, but in the future it's going to be something else even better. Don't believe them. What I want to argue is not just that capitalism is all chubby babies and iPhones and expanding life expectancies. I am also here today to give you the moral case for capitalism Capitalism not only makes people better off, it is also a morally better system. I want to start with a very simple idea, the double thank you. Now, you know what this is. You do this when you buy lunch. 
You go, you say, hi, I'd like a hot dog. The guy says, I'll take your money. You swap, and then you say, thanks, and he says, thank you. That right there, that is capitalism's signature move. That is what capitalism is about. Other systems don't have that. We could say that market society is a game where you win by making sure that other people are better off with you than without you. The beauty of market capitalism is that it's built from voluntary interactions. All these alternatives we're going to hear about today, everything that they made up that they want to see in the future that's socialist or whatever, that's all built on a moment where we have to radically reorder society in a wave of some kind of violence or confiscation. Capitalism doesn't need that, and that is an enormous, important moral difference. It doesn't matter how beautiful your utopia is. It does not matter how grand your grand plan is, if it requires a huge consolidation of power, that power, that has to be done at the point of a gun. Of course, it's true that every fortune made in a capitalist system is not just uh, capitalism as uh, in every other system. There will be people who lie, people who cheat, people who steal. But capitalism alone among economic systems is not predicated on zero-sum thinking. Now, of course, we all know Adam Smith. We've met that guy. Uh, and his old adage about the butchers and the bakers and how they're going to hook us up with a nice charcuterie platter or like a bologna sandwich, not out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they want to make money. Uh, but capitalism isn't just about the trade part. It's also about the innovation part. Um, and so I want to talk about why we get a better baguette as well as getting a baguette So the two moving parts of capitalism, the trade part and the competition part, work together, but the competition part is doing a lot of money. Uh, capitalist competition is not conflict. It is competition to produce a better widget or baguette. Uh, you know who knows this? You know who's like totally down with this idea? It's your boy Bernie. He has said, and he's quite right, capitalism does a number of things very well. It helps create an entrepreneurial spirit. It gets people motivated to come up with new ideas, and that's a good thing. Right on, my man. Now, right after that, he has a big butt, and then he has a whole bunch of things about how capitalism is bad. <laughs> Milton Friedman uh, once said, and he's quite right about this, that underlying most arguments against the free market is a lack of belief in freedom itself. And that's where I want to leave you all tonight. When socialists say stuff like, private decisions that have massive public implications must be subjected to popular control, only then will we have a democratic society, <coughs> Jacobin, What they mean is that people can't be trusted to make their own decisions just as surely as when theocrats say we must order the public square for the highest good. It is just as sinister. Do not be confused about what they are asking for. Capitalism gives people what they want, not what a group of powerful people think they should want. And that is a very different thing. Thank you, Catherine Mango Ward. Our final debater in this opening round will be speaking against the resolution, Capitalism is a Blessing, Richard Wolff, Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Wolff. So I'm the professor. And as the professor, I've got to start off with a little lesson. Capitalism is not a market. Markets do not distinguish capitalism from other systems. We had slavery in this society, characterized above all by a market. Shall we celebrate the market, or are we ashamed of the market in human beings? Think about it. <laughs> Markets have done some of the ugliest things in the history of the human race. Capitalism is a way of organizing the production of goods. It's different from slavery because it doesn't have a master and a slave. It's different from feudalism because it doesn't have a lord and a serf. But it's like them because it's divided society into two. One, as a minority, has all the power. We call them nowadays employers. And the other ones don't. And we call them employees. Although in their dreams they know they're serfs and they're slaves. So let me argue why capitalism is not a blessing. I'm going to give you four reasons. It's unstable. It's unequal. It's undemocratic. And it's unsustainable ecologically. Any one of them should do. Any one of them should make you a skeptic. All four of them should make you, like me, an opponent. So let's do it quickly. Unstable. Everywhere capitalism has settled, everywhere, for 250 years or more, 
It has produced an economic downturn every, on average every four to seven years. A recession, a depression, a downturn. You got a lot of words for this because it has traumatized every society where capitalism has settled. Throughout the history of capitalism, every effort was made, stop this, fix this, because the system shakes every time it collapses. You know, like after 2008. That's why we're here tonight. And the system couldn't do it. If you live with a roommate as unstable as capitalism, you would have moved out long ago. <laughs> Unequal. Earlier speakers made statements that are, again, I'm a professor, so I have to look at the statistics, boring as it is. Let me just give you one about equality and inequality. According to the Federal Reserve this last week, the richest 10% of Americans together have nearly twice the total wealth of the other 90%. We live in a society that is rushing us back to the age of the pyramids in terms of inequality. That is a national shame, and that's the responsibility of capitalism that has brought us to this charming situation of grotesque inequality. Undemocratic, let's see. How is every enterprise organized? You know, 200, 300 years ago, we got rid of kings. But you know, we didn't really. They fooled us. We got rid of the big one. But we got lots of little ones. In every enterprise, there's a king. The owner, the director, the board of directors, a tiny group of people who make the decisions, what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and what to do with the profits. The profits everybody helped to produce. We claim to be a democratic society. We have never permitted democracy inside our enterprises. If you believe in democracy, explain to me why it has been exempted, this demand for democracy, from the institution in which most people spend most of their adult lives. Five out of seven days, the best hours of the day, you're in an institution that is not democratic and never was. Capitalism organizes production because that's what it is, a production system, not a market. That way. The kings are still alive. And the one I don't need to spend much time on is capitalism has done a number on the, economic, uh, on the environment, on the ecology that we're all suffering from. Competition among capitalists produces the food we can't stand anymore. So we have a split society. If you got some money, you go to the Whole Foods and you spend extra, a lot extra, <laughs> to get the organic food. But if you don't, you go to the neighborhood stop and shop and you eat the pesticides, excuse me, the food. <laughs> This is a society that condemns those people who can't afford it to an early death, unnecessary disease, and a whole host of other consequences that lead me to urge you, vote no on this proposition. Thank you, Richard Wolff. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is capitalism is a blessing. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly. Uh, they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here at the K Playhouse in New York. Our resolution is, capitalism is a blessing. We have heard the team arguing for the resolution, John Mackey and Catherine Mangaward. Uh, first of all, they're making no claim whatsoever that capitalism is perfect, uh, but they say that compared to everything else, it is unquestionably the best system. It's the best system because it has brought about an unprecedented degree of economic success. They make significant arguments for the value of economic freedom, for the voluntary nature of exchanges that take place under capitalism. They point out that uh, profit is a way to indicate that basically a capitalist enterprise is on track, that things are working, that people are being served. The team arguing against the resolution, Bhaskar Sankara and Richard Wolff, they are conceding that the gains of capitalism over the last 200 years are real. However, they say that's not exactly the point, that there are other issues besides the material uh, prosperity that has come about uh, uh, in aggregate since then. They say that capitalism leaves many problems unresolved. For example, its cyclical nature, that the system breaks down. They uh, say that uh, it is essentially undemocratic because companies operate as... You didn't use the word dictatorships, but I think you were saying that you're nodding, so you're conceding that word. Use it. Okay, just to cut to that. Um, There's some disagreement about what you each mean by capitalism, but I think there's enough 
inside of the Venn diagram that we can proceed with this. And I want to just take some of the points that I heard and take this first to you, Bhaskar, and to respond to something that your opponent said, because I think it kind of sums up strongly everything that your opponents are arguing when Catherine said capitalism gives people what they want. What's your response to that? Well, I think it gives some people what they want, but if you're talking at the level of a consumer, then how would it be different if you were in the type of firm that, that Richard was talking about? If you were in a firm that was producing goods that was democratically structured, you're still producing goods based on inputs from the market, from consumers. The question is, does it give people what they want at the point of production when they're workers? Because the question of socialism is not a question of saying, should we have more equality or should we have more freedom? It's a question of freedom for whom? So, for example, I run a magazine, small, far smaller magazine than, than you know, Whole Foods is as an enterprise. But let's say if I set up this magazine and I built up all this infrastructure and I invested a lot into the infrastructure, both time and material and whatnot, and I decide and I enter into a contract with my employees and I say, all right, you have to work 10 hours a day and that's the way you'll get your salary and, and we'll make good on this fixed investment that... that that was made into this publication. But then the government comes along, Bernie Sanders is elected, or a figure like him, and he says, well, we're going to mandate a 35-hour work week. So the question is, I, as a capitalist, lose three hours, but my employees lose, gain three hours, three hours to do whatever they want. I would just spend it watching, you know, NBA basketball and you know, and eating unhealthy food. It's not like we're going to create great works of art with that, but it's a question of freedom for whom. I think that our reforms and the socialist impulse creates freedom for the majority, even if it does constrain uh, freedom for private capitalists to do what they want with production. So can you take two more sentences just on the question of, to your opponent's response that capitalism gives people what they want, if you boiled what you just said down to two sentences, it would be... Well, fundamentally, if, if you're talking about at the sphere of consumption, then it's markets that are giving people what they want, not the dictatorial nature of capitalist production. That okay. doesn't give people what they want. Okay, so I want to bring that back to Catherine. So what I, what I hear is, yes, he agrees with you that if people want stuff, it works really well for that. If people want, I guess, um, uh, power in the workplace, it, it's very bad at that. Right. So can you take that on? Yeah, again, I, I appreciate Bhaskar making my case for me. If people want stuff, capitalism works really well for that. Just want to pause there. But then also, uh, you know, I think a huge difference, maybe the key difference between what John and I are advocating and what uh, our opponents are advocating is just in our system, his thing can exist. You are very welcome to open that store, structure it that way, open that magazine, structure it that way. To the extent that it can't exist, I think that's a, a political failure and a place where we agree. In his system, our thing can't. I sometimes wonder in these conversations whether we inhabit the same planets here. Um, Giving people what they want. The defenders of capitalism have always talked in terms of the outputs that people want. I assume most of you understand that output is not all that life is about. The consumption of objects isn't the royal road to happiness. It really has a lot more to do with relationships you have with other human beings that shape the quality of your life. And if the relationship you have is in an enterprise that is an autocratic, dictatorial, top-down operation that stifles your own initiative a hundred times a day, which most of you in your work lives know all about, and if you had a couple of drinks, out it would come. And you're right, that vague sense you have at the end of the day that you've been ripped off. The reason that you have to, on the way home, stop at that bar which offers on the window happy hour, as if to underscore the difference with the other hours of the day. So, life is a... I, I want to let John let, let me get just, into Let me just con- finish the point. Well, life <laughs> is more than the question of, of consumption to whatever the system delivers you. First of all, I, I really wish I had not been the one who introduced the word dictatorial into the conversation. <laughs> I was merely trying to paraphrase what I thought you said, but I am not taking sides and choosing that term. But I wanted to bring to John Mackey, who, who has been a CEO, the, 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 kind of the challenge that, uh, that Richard is bringing. Well, I don't think Richard's ever opened a business, so I don't really think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I put a challenge up. Capitalism isn't perfect right? 
but compared to what? To a utopian fantasy in his own mind? Maybe not. Maybe not shaping up very well. But compared to real-life socialistic test, it looks really good. We talk about dictators. What about Stalin and Mao and Castro and Chavez? You know, socialism murdered 129 million of its own citizens in the last... It's comparative. We have to compare these things. We had kings in the past. Yeah, now we have, we have companies, and they have to serve customers. They have to organize. If they think they can do it better, let them try. You can do that in capitalism. You can have worker self-directed enterprises, which Richard writes about. You can do that. They just don't work that well. They don't compete that well. They don't deliver the goods in competitive prices to people. So it's easy to just take pot shots at capitalism and say it's not perfect. You've got dictators telling people what to do. That's not fair and just. Where's the real life, life alternative? That's the challenge I put out to them, and I challenge them again. Give us the answer. Yeah. Show us Can the country where it works, where your utopia is playing out instead of just in your writings. Richard Wolf to respond? Well... If you had done some homework and found out whether or not I'd ever run a business or started one, you might have had something to say, but what you asserted is false. I've started five businesses in my life, and I've had a lot of experience in running businesses. Then there was the final comment about, give me an example. The business is the Mondragon Cooperative Corporation. It is the seventh largest corporation in Spain. It was started in 1956 with six workers and a Catholic priest. It today has over 100,000 workers, which is why it's the seventh largest. It's a collection, a holding company, a collection of about 250 worker co-ops. In every single one of them, the workers decide democratically what they get paid, what they produce, how they function. All of the decisions normally made by a dictator is made democratically by the workers there. Over that time, they have done very, very well. They've grown from six to 100,000, an envious record for any capitalist corporation, and along the way they defeated many capitalist corporations in competition. They have a rule that the highest paid person can't get more than eight times the lowest paid. The ratio in this country is about 300 to 1. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. Hey, everybody. I'm John Donvan, host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates. And this debate, it's the last of our fall series. It's our season finale. But don't worry, we're going to be back in January with a whole new lineup. You can stay up to date with all of our upcoming episodes and our live shows at iq2us.org. That's iq, the number two, us.org. A reminder that our four debaters are right now in the middle of questions and answers on the resolution, capitalism is a blessing. Now let's get back to the debate. There is a legacy of socialist systems being associated with very, very oppressive states. They're arguing freedom. They're arguing that the suppression came about because capitalism is, is more instinctive and that the kinds of things that uh, socialism requires might have to be coercive and have been in these examples. I think the audience wants to get your response to that. Well, I think the authoritarian states of the Eastern Bloc were one of, among its first victims were always anti-authoritarian socialists, democratic socialists, and so on. But parties with the same roots in Marxism also took power across much of Western Europe. And if you want an example of an attempt to construct an alternative political economy within the sphere of capitalism but pushed by anti-capitalist forces, you should, in fact, look at Sweden and look at the Nordic model and look at that transformation through uninterrupted rule. Fifty years from the 1930s to the 1970s, a socialist party was elected in Sweden, what happened when they lost? There was a peaceful transference of power in 1976, and they were re-elected in 1982. But even in those cases, we use political coercion because, in fact, there needs to be forms of coercion. The question is, what kind of coercion? I am more than happy to take away someone's right as a capitalist to do whatever they want, certain aspects of their right to do whatever they want, but I'm not happy to take away any of their individual <laughs> rights as a human being their life, right to basic speech and other, other freedoms and so on. The question, in other words, is freedom for, for whom? But unions, sectoral bargaining, regulations, these are all in political coercion, 
by and pushed by the majority on the minority. That's what it is. It just isn't an extreme so, form, and that's what democratic socialism always right. advocated. Let me take that to John Mackey. So the, the theme from your opponents has been that there's a theme that capitalism is essentially anti-democratic. They were explicit about that. Can you take that point on? I can, but I do want to real quickly sure. say that I'm quite familiar with the example Richard used, and they have many admirable things about them, but they are smaller than Whole Foods Market is, 50% smaller in revenues. They don't have 100,000 people working for them. I have their financial statement right here, 81,000 people. Their EBITDA is not that great. And they're not, they're not really – they're worker-owned, but they're not worker-managed. They're, they're, and they're not a utopia by any means. Women are not particularly empowered, and they don't have very good track record on the environment either. So the, he holds them up as the great example, but uh, they're nothing special from my and, perspective. And how about the, their theme of capitalism being essentially anti-democratic? Capitalism is not anti-democratic. In fact, democracy and capitalism go together. Where do you think democracy came from? It's come up through capitalism. Any country that has high degrees of economic freedom also have high degrees of personal freedom. They also have democracies. These things tend to go together. Bhaskar said that he believes in sort of civic rights, but maybe not economic rights. But when you begin to take away economic rights, civic rights will follow eventually. When power gets concentrated, that's what happens. If you ever take a course in what democracy is, the first chapter of that course will tell you it's something we inherited from Athens many thousand years ago. Pericles, you remember from your civics class? Democracy was invented in those days, and we celebrated, and it has been studied ever since. That society was based, and the majority of people in it were slaves. The democracy only applied to the minority of the people who weren't slaves. There's no one-to-one relationship between democracy and capitalism. There never was. The mystique is to suggest that because we go through a voting procedure in politics, we should be blind to the exclusion of democracy where we work. And we depend more on the realities of our jobs than we do on those strange political animals who work in Washington. That's why the democracy is lacking, and that's why the problem is legitimately raised against capitalism, that it has excluded democracy from the beginning in its workplaces. Okay, I want to go to audience now for questions. And um, if you can stand up and tell us your name and thanks. I'm DC. Um, I think a blessing assumes a morality. And I would like to ask the capitalism side. Um, do you argue that capitalism is immoral with inequality, with pollution, with ecological disasters, maybe child labor, everything else? You haven't spoken about this. And I think inequality is part of it. So how do you address it? You can both answer that if you'd like to, and then I'll go to Which, the other side. I mean, there were only five questions there. Which one do you want us to focus on? Let's start on? with inequality. Then we talked about impact on climate. And, sure. yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, you Catherine. know, the, the blessings framing, obviously, here is very relevant. And, you know, I think if you think about, well, what, what kind of blessings do people want? What, what do people pray for? Um, and your, your framing was one characterization of what our world looks like now, and I think one that many people agree with, but another way to think about it is to say, well, what do people want? They want peace, they want prosperity, they want health, they want a better future, and, you know, again, we are not arguing capitalism is perfect, whole, and entire, exactly as it exists, but I do think even for those problems that you named, including, uh, you know, when people say, I'm worried about inequality, I think what they often mean uh, is not, not just inequality, but more specifically, I'm worried about the people who are the least well-off. I'm worried about the poorest people. Um, and that is morally praiseworthy. You should be worried about those people. Uh, and I think that as the defenders of capitalism will talk your ear off about, um, it really is still a market system, a capitalist system that improves a lot of those people. So, the inequality piece so being the presumption secondary. The question, I'm sorry to interrupt. The presumption of the question seems to be an inequality question that capitalism is responsible for the inequality. And you're, you're saying no. I, I'm Right. I mean, I think John, you know, John touched on this and he can take this, but the natural condition of man is po- poverty and inequality. Capitalism is a remedy, I really believe. The most economically free nations the poorest people actually have a higher percentage of the total income than the less economically free places. Let's take 
what happened in China, for example, when it was a socialistic. It's still socialistic, but it's now moved with more economic freedom, which is, as it's gotten more economically free, hundreds of millions of people have escaped from poverty. If we go back into the peak, when China, 1958 to 1962, 35 million people starved there. 35 million people starved there. They, they actually had black markets for human flesh because people couldn't get any food. That's what happens. Capitalism ends poverty. They began, when China began to move back towards economic freedom, their inequality went up. It's much higher today than it was 40 years ago. But is China better off because they liberalized parts of their economy and went back to economic freedom? Unquestionably, they are. If you go back to 1962, 48% of Chinese lived under the poverty line of $3.20 by the World Bank. What percentage lives under that poverty line today? Okay, I'm 1%. Gonna, so so the, your bottom line to the question is that on all those points, that, that capitalism is, the mor- is, is prefer- morally preferable. Absolutely. Morally. Okay. It's ending poverty on this planet. Capitalism is ending poverty. It's morally superior. Okay, I'd like to go to another question, please. Hello, my name is Diana. It's a question for the uh, side arguing for uh, capitalism. Where would you draw the line? Can capitalism go too far? Can economic freedom go too far? Yes, it could. I mean... Uh, it has in the past. There can be, uh, people can cross the line. There needs to be, they're, they're not arguing there should be no government, there should be no regulations. We need the rule of law. We need to do it in an intelligent way. And that's what the debate should be about. How do we make capitalism better? How do we make it more responsible? How do we make it more caring? That's what, the, that's what this debate should be about. Not the whether capitalism is a and, blessing. And, and, and Richard Wolf, the, the softball question of the night to you, can capitalism go too far? It's already gone too far. The answer to this is this conversation, can it go too far, but we need rules and regulations. If you give 10% of the people the overwhelming bulk of the wealth, they buy the rule makers. You know it and I know it. And they make the rules to serve the continuation of their inequality. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is capitalism is a blessing. Now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn, making her closing statement in support of the resolution, Capitalism is a Blessing, Catherine Mangle Ward, editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine. This has been just a fantastic, lively conversation, especially with the running, and uh, I've been really happy to be here. Uh, But, you know, sometimes I'm not in a great mood, and so I want to tell you guys what I do when I'm grumpy which is I go online and I search for a certain type of YouTube videos. You've probably seen these. Um, They're the videos of children or adults getting their cochlear implants turned on. You've seen those, right? They follow a very predictable pattern. Usually uh, there's sort of a bunch of patter and people bumbling around, and then it comes on, and there's a kind of... (gasps) And then everybody cries. They always cry. Uh, And usually somebody's mom says, I love you. And what I want to say is that everything about YouTubing happy cyborgs is what capitalism offers. I just can't, I can't, you know, I I know that people think that people who love capitalism are just calculators with charts and um, and they're, they're, you know, unfeeling machines, but... It's the opposite. It's mothers saying I love you to their cyborg babies for the first time. That is the blessing of capitalism. In any other time, that would have been a literal miracle, a blessing, a reason to start an entire religion. When, when the lame walk, when the deaf hear, that was an unheard of magic. And now it happens every day. Capitalism is a blessing. Thank you, Catherine Mango Ward. And now making his closing statement against the resolution, here is Bosco Sankara, founding editor of Jacobin Magazine. Well, when I want to feel depressed, I look at a video or I search on social media for the tale of someone who can't afford penicillin. Or especially because penicillin 
was invented decades ago. One of the inventors was a socialist. But it was invented and intentionally it was created without a patent. It was created so that it would be to the benefit of the public good. And instead, what we have is penicillin is affordable around the world, but in the United States, it's so expensive that people have to cut their, their, their doses and they put themselves in material harm. And that, to me, is the essence of what capitalism does when it's in, in these spheres where it shouldn't be. And it's socialists who are advocating right now basic reforms that actually do have popular support. Now, when I talk in the abstract, when Richard talks about taking over workplaces and this higher vision of a socialism after capitalism, this is something I profoundly believe in, but it doesn't yet have mass support. Why? Because if we can't put Medicare for all on the table, it, are we going to put worker ownership of the means of production on the table? It doesn't make sense. But we start with winning Medicare for all, with winning a Green New Deal, with winning these important reforms. But then what would happen? Capitalists would still hold within society the ability to withhold investment. And with this ability, with this ability to pursue capital flight, with this ability to roll the markets, they will undermine all the gains that we have made to this point. The case for a socialism beyond capitalism is a case to take away this power to withhold investment from capitalists. That means converting private capitalist firms into worker-owned cooperatives. If you live in Cleveland, you're not going like, to pick up and move, take your family to China to seek lower wages. That's the case for a socialism beyond capitalism. Thank you, Baska Sankara. The resolution again, capitalism is a blessing, and here to make his closing statement in support of the motion, John Mackey, co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. I'm going to end by telling you a story. So I was in Chicago a few years ago. How many of you used an Uber driver at some point? So I'm in the car, and he's got, he's got a funny accent. I can't quite place it. So I say, well, where are you from? He says, I'm from Bhutan. And I think, what do I know about Bhutan? I've never been there. Oh, Bhutan, happiest place in the, in the world, right? So we know about Bhutan. I said, well, um, why did you leave Bhutan to come to the United States? Because Bhutan's the happiest place in the world. Why would you leave? He said, yes, Bhutan is very happy, but happiness is overrated. <laughs> and I thought, well, why do you think it's overrated? And he says, my daughter is in medical school. My daughter, she's going to be a doctor. She could not be a doctor in Bhutan. I came here for my daughter. There are 45 million people living in the United States right now who are not born here. They came here because of capitalism. They came here to make a better life for themselves and a better life for their families. I put a challenge to the other side. Just name one country one country that's socialistic, that's been successful, that you can hang your hat on and say, this is the way forward. I'm still waiting for that. Maybe Richard will do it in his closing statement. The way forward is capitalism. We can do it better. We can do it in a more conscious way. Companies are doing it better all the time. We are evolving as a planet, as a species. But our future will be with capitalism. We just need to do it more consciously. Read my book. Thank you very, very Thank much. Thank you, John Mackey. And the resolution, one more time, capitalism is a blessing. And here to make his closing statement against the resolution, here is Richard Wolff, Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. So I began as the professor, and I'll, I'll end that way. Every economic system in the history of the world can be described as having three phases. It was born... It evolved, and it died. The village economy, slavery, feudalism, you name it. Born, evolved, and died. What can we say about capitalism? It clearly was born. It's clearly evolved, which suggests the next phase, doesn't it? No, I mean it. The human race has tried for a long time to move forward. The slave system, the slaves particularly, thought you could do better than to be a slave. And the serfs thought you could do better than to be a serf. And every society had the people who got the short end of the stick in that arrangement decided, you know, you could do better than the slavery and the feudalism. Here's a piece of exciting news. 
You can do better than capitalism, too. And the mentality that thinks you can't is the mentality that doesn't go along with the notion that human beings have the possibility to make the lives they live in the societies they have and the institutions available to them to do a better job for the vast majority of the people. Not the 10% who are doing real well, but the average mass of people. The desperate desire to hold on, to predict, as John just did, the future of capitalism, violates the born evolution and death. And the real question for us is, are we going to let a declining system take us down with it? Thank you, Richard Wolff. And that concludes our closing statements. It's now all in. I have the final results. Remember, it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winners. It went like this. On the resolution, capitalism is a blessing. Before you heard the arguments, 56% agreed that capitalism is a blessing. 21% were against the resolution. 23% were undecided. One more time, I'm going to explain those are the first results. It's going to be the difference between that and the numbers I'm about to reveal that determine our winner. In the second vote, the team arguing for the resolution, capitalism is a blessing, their first vote was 56%. Their second vote was 62%. They pulled up six percentage points. That is the number to beat. The team against the resolution, their first vote was 21%. Their second vote was 28%. They pulled up seven percentage points by one point. The team arguing against the resolution, our winner. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me. And Intelligence Squared U.S., we'll see you next time. This debate was recorded live at the K Playhouse in New York City. Intelligence Squared U.S. debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation. Clea Chang is our CEO. Shay O'Mara is director of editorial. Connor Kerfman is our creative and marketing strategist. Rob Christensen and Mary Dewey are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. And I'm your host, John Bombat. If you like this debate, I hope you'll check out Intelligence Squared's economic series. We've tackled a host of issues around changes in the way our society thinks about and spends money. We took on globalization with a debate on the resolution, globalization has undermined America's working class. And an issue that's been front and center in the Democratic Party, we've debated the resolution, the universal basic income is the safety net of the future. Just scroll through our podcast feed or visit iq2us.org to hear those debates. And as always, if you want to help us bring balanced debate to more people across the nation, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening right now.